the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. But do not overlook this with what the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Thank you to Amy and the band. Let's just bow our heads and, and pray before we open God's word together. Father, your name is a strong and mighty tower. And God, we just pray that as we um, come to your word this morning, uh, that you would reveal our hearts to us, God. Uh, that you would speak to us through the inspired words of scripture. Uh, that you would just... Just draw us back to yourself. Remind us of who you are and how good you are. Help us to see, see your truth in a fresh light. Help us to experience your presence in a fresh way. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you guys to turn to Psalm 63 this morning. We're kind of sitting sandwiched in between a couple of uh, series, finishing up our our series about what the Bible says about marriage and family. And we are next week going to be starting in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're starting at the beginning of the book of Matthew, which is going to uh, just fit nicely with uh, going into the Christmas season, the Advent season of the year. Uh, so today I kind of had an had a open week, open topic, and I'm just going to share uh, some truths that God has been kind of uh, putting on my heart over the last month. And uh, I think there's a couple Thanksgiving tie-ins in there as well. But uh, really, this is just uh, an opportunity to, to take a break. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 63 together and just ask God uh, just to reveal uh, what he has for us to learn from this psalm together. So uh, let's go ahead and, and read it together. So I'm reading from the ESV version, but uh, follow along with, with your phone or with uh, one of the Bibles under the pew or whatever you have handy. Psalm 63 goes like this. First of all, it says, it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, 
They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Um, you know, why Psalm 63? This, this psalm, I think, is, is really special and unique in a few ways, but the thing that I love about it is that it just gives us a little miniature portrait of what it looks like to pursue God. Uh, and not only just to pursue God, but to, but to pursue him through difficult seasons of life. Um, you know, one, thing, one of the things we can be thankful for is that the Bible is very frank. It's very realistic. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, pie in the sky. It's, it doesn't paint uh, this unattainable picture of what the Christian life looks like. And, and one of the things that's neat about the Psalms especially is that it gives us, it gives us a, an inspired portrait of what it looks like for our heart to seek after God uh, even when it's not always easy, right? Um, and, and we kind of get a clue to the mood of this Psalm right off the bat. And, and one of the things you, you may not realize is when you go through the Psalms, many of the Psalms have a little inscription at the beginning. And and we, it doesn't have a verse number for it, so you might be tempted to think, well, that's just the editors stuck that in there or something. But th- those little inscriptions uh, at the beginning of the Psalms are, are part of the, the Hebrew text. They're part of the inspired word of Scripture. And so we see it right at the beginning. Um, two key things about this psalm. It's, number one, it says it's the psalm of David. Number two, it says when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, you might think, well... What does that tell us? Because there were a couple different times in David's life where, when he was experiencing the wilderness. But as you read through the psalm, and especially towards the end of the psalm, when he says, the king shall rejoice in God, it, it narrows it down, right? This is, this is a psalm that happens while David is king and while he's in the wilderness of Judah. And really, that, that narrows it down to one specific event. And we'll get into the background of that in a little bit. But really... The background, the context of what's happening is David is really fleeing for his life. His son Absalom has staked his claim to the throne, has gathered a, a, a large army around him, is marching on Jerusalem. And, and David and the royal household really have time to maybe just grab whatever they can, uh, grab the, the closest family members and, and the most trusted uh, servants and advisors for David and they run. They get out of there. So behind them, they, they're leaving their home. They're leaving everything that they've held dear. David is leaving his, his very throne, right? You might think, why doesn't he stay and fight? Um, but, but he knows that, that that's not a, a battle uh, he is equipped to win at that time. And so he is on the run. And so... Um, you know, this is, a, this is a really practical psalm for our daily life. And I just want us to, to absorb, I think it, it really points us to three inner realities um, that kind of show us what it looks like. What does it mean to seek after God? What does it mean, what does it feel like in, inside of our soul, inside of our spirit to really seek after God? And I just want us to, to see these three inner realities and, and meditate on them this morning. And I'll give them to you up front, and then I'll repeat them. And hopefully at the end, you can take them with you. Uh, 
But there are three times in this psalm where David talks about his soul. So you see it in verse 1, my soul thirsts for you. You see it in verse 5, my soul will be satisfied. And you see it in verse 8, my soul clings to you. So we're going to talk about soul thirsting, soul feasting, and soul clinging this morning. Okay? So first one, soul thirsting. How does a king find himself thirsty, right? They're not two things that go together very often, right? Um, The only way to get a thirsty king is to take him out of the palace. And I was thinking about this. There's something sometimes about material prosperity, about uh, riches, or, or just when life is going a certain way where everything is good for us. There's something about that that can dull our appetite uh, for, spiritual, for spiritual things and for spiritual growth. And, you know, I think about the life of, the life of David, and this is, this, you kind of see this, this pattern, right? That early on in his life, you probably see some of the greatest triumphs of, of David's faith. You see his encounter with, with David and Goliath. Uh, you know, when he, when he came and he, he said, I don't need the king's armor. Um, I don't need anything else but God. And give me five stones, my sling, and God's going to take care of me, right? And you see it when he was running away from Saul in the wilderness. You know, just, just this faith displayed. You know, I think of the time where God delivered Saul to him. He's in the cave with David, and David cuts off a corner of the cave. And he says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to wait for God. I'm not taking matters into my own hands. And, and I'm not saying that, that uh, David lost that, that uh, relationship with God, but when he actually became king, when he actually came onto the throne, some things kind of changed, right? Um, and, and you see a couple of big failures in his life that happened after that time. I mean, we all think of, of Bathsheba, but then there was a time later in his life where he took the census. And, and sometimes I just wonder, you know, when you look at this passage, is God kind of, what's he trying to show us about spiritual thirst? And, and I think sometimes that when you think about trials and the things that happen in our life, and you say, why does God allow these things to happen? And one of the reasons is, and sometimes we have to be taken out of that comfort zone. We have to be taken out of the palace uh, to feel that thirst, to feel that thirst of our soul. And, you know, David says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. You know, sometimes our inner world matches the surroundings that we're in out, uh, around. So David, he, he's taken out of the palace. He's in the wilderness. He looks around him. He sees dry dirt and desert. I've never been to Israel, but I've seen pictures of what the Judean wilderness looks like. And it's, it's a wasteland. And he finally has some time to just, you know, maybe reflect or, or has a moment where, where at the end of the day they sit down to take a break and, and just picture him looking around and saying, you know what, I'm thirsty, but... Even more so, my soul is thirsty for God. My soul is thirsty for God. And I want you guys to think back to a time when you were really thirsty, right? In, in the literal sense, okay? Uh, maybe you've never, I've never actually been in a desert, but uh, 
When I think about being really thirsty, I think about Iowa cornfields, okay? When I, was a, when I was a teenager, I spent probably about four or five summers, you know, weeks, for a couple weeks in July, you go out and do this crazy thing called detasseling, where you walk up and down the corn rows, and you pull the tops off of every, off of every uh, plant, and it is one of the thirstiest jobs, you know? You, you, you're walking a quarter mile down, down at a slow pace. The sun's beating down on you. You walk back. And, and I just remember, you know, you, you, can, you can see in the distance the bus that you drove in on. And you know that, you're, that your water, you know, container is there. It's waiting with ice cold water. And you just, it consumes your thoughts. You're like, man, I just want to get to the end of this row. And I just want to take a huge drink of water. Um, you know, or other times, if, if any of you in this room are runners, you know, maybe you've, you've went out on a long run, you don't have anything, any water with you, or a long bike ride, and you just, man, you get to that point where you just, all you want is a really big drink of water. And, and think about the sensations you're feeling when you're really, really thirsty, okay? I mean, some of the, the words that come to my mind are dry, uh, maybe a little bit lethargic, maybe a little bit lifeless. You start feeling a little bit slow, right? I mean, your energy level is, is down, okay? Well, David's using this language. He's appropriating the language of physical thirst, and he's applying it to his spirit, to his soul, and saying, God, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty for you. I need your presence, And I just want us to think about the fact, think about this. If you can remember the last time you're thirsty in a physical sense, what did it also, what does it feel like to be thirsty in a spiritual sense? And when was the last time that you said, man, God, I am really thirsty for you? Some of you, some of you may feel like that this morning. Um, and if you do, man, that's a gift of God just to help us feel a need for him. But I think one of, the, one of the maybe breakdowns when I think about this metaphor and, and physical thirst, when you get to a certain point where you, where you need a drink of water, you're going to take that drink, right? You're not going to go any farther. Because if, if you do not drink and continue not to drink, you're going to die. Now, our souls... They can go for a long, long, long time and really just reach this point of, of spiritual death if we don't feed them the water, the spiritual water they need. If we don't take a drink from God's presence and say, renew me, refill me, recharge me. And, and one of the, the, the difficulties about our, our kind of society, and this is true of, of all times, but I feel like our... our uh, North American culture is really good at um, false alternatives, I guess I'm going to say, for quenching our thirst. So while, while we may not feel thirsty, some of the reason could be because, you know, we're drinking from these other sources. You know, it's, it's like coming in from the long run. There's no water in the house. The only thing there is is a, is a can of Coke. And, and man, it's cold. It's, it's still, it tastes kind of refreshing. It's sweet going down. But there's still something a little, a little different when, you know, when you're really, really thirsty, 
You know, when you could drink, say, 32 ounces of water, man, guzzling down 32 ounces of Coke just isn't the same, isn't the same thing, right? You're going you're gonna to feel a little sick to your stomach. You're going to, in a couple hours, just feel like, man, what, what just happened? What did I do? It doesn't really satisfy that thirst. And there's a lot of things in our life that kind of work that same way, right? Um, you know, it could be relationships. It could be, uh, it could be your husband or your wife or your kids. You're, you're looking, you're, you're trying to, to fill that thirst by, by having a good relationship. It could be just a, a schedule that is so packed that there's no margin, there's no room for rest. It could be just this always-on kind of slavery we sometimes feel to our, our, our phones, our computers, the information, um, you know, the 24-7 access to news. I mean, there was a time where, where you, if you were going to get the news, it was there once a day. It came on a printed paper. And, and even though it might take you a little bit, if you wanted to, you could read through the paper in an hour, and you're like, oh, that's all the news for, t- for today. I guess tomorrow there's going to be new news. Okay? Now, there's no such thing. You never reach the end of the news, right? There's this constant stream of information coming from CNN and Fox and Twitter and Facebook, and you never reach the end of it. And all these things crowd into our, crowd into our hearts, and they're, they're substitutes for the thirst that we have for God. They're substitutes. They, it's, like, it's like drinking from the can of Coke. It, it never really satisfies you. It never really quenches what your heart desires. And so, you know, I kind of think that, that David had to be pried away from the palace in some ways so that he could realize that his soul was starving. And so, you know, let's just ask ourselves, are we ever alone with our thoughts for long enough to feel spiritual thirst? Or do I go from my phone to my car to the radio to my computer screen at work, back to the car with the radio, back to home with my family? When the kids go to the bed, I have my phone. You know, it's so easy to fill every single moment with something besides God. And, and I think sometimes we just need to pry ourselves away from all that and try to sit in quiet with our thoughts and just say, God, I'm thirsty for you. And that seems like a, a really simple prayer. But man, I think sometimes God loves to hear that from us. For us just to say, God, I'm really dry spiritually. I really need your spirit to just renew me and recharge me. And maybe that's all we can say. We just say, God, I need you. You know, in the wilderness, when David was alone with his thoughts, I, I think he kind of returned to some basic truths, okay? So one basic truth, verse one, he says, Oh God, you are my God. He goes back to the God of personal relationship. How many people in your life can you put the prefix my in front of, okay? 
You know, it's probably maybe your immediate family. I can say my Ethan, my Lauren, my Jillian. It might get weird if I said my Kyle. All right? <laughs> but David says, oh God, you are my God. He uses that, that intimate uh, qualifier there. And, and he's just acknowledging that God is a person that I have a relationship with and I need him. And then he goes back to, in verse two, he goes back to the memory of past blessings. He said, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. When's the last time you can say, God, I wanna behold your power and your glory. Or can you think back to a time in your life where you said, that was the power of God on display, or what God did showed me his glory. I, I think for David, well, he probably had a lot of things he could return to, but one thing that, that comes to mind for me when I think about David's life is, is this incident from 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, the setting is David has just become king, and, and one of his first official acts is he says, you know, we need to bring the ark. We need to bring the ark of God into the capital city. Up until this time, its home had not been in Jerusalem, okay? It was captured by the Philistines for a little while, but before that, it had, it had been in, in, in Hebron or some other places. But he says, I want the ark of God. God's home should be in Jerusalem, okay? God's starting this new kingship. I want to bring the ark here. And so he went through this process of bringing the ark back and... Had a, there was a little hiccup along the way. Someone died. David got a little uh, upset about that. He kind of pouted for a few months. And then he said, okay, you know, time to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And, and, and here's what happened. It says in 2 Samuel 6, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I think that's interesting that the king was actually, in this instance, fulfilling a, a job that was typically handled by the priests. And I think that was a way to, to prefigure Jesus as the kingly priest. But for David, you know, that was an event that he could look back to he wasn't concerned about appearing a certain way. You know, his, 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 his first wife, Michael, Saul's, Saul's daughter, looked out there and, and she said, that's no way for a king to act. Here he is making a fool out of himself. I think David, though, just for him to go back to a time like that where he was in God's presence, he was so consumed with just the joy of worshiping God, he didn't care what he looked like to everyone else. He didn't care uh, what his wife thought of him. He didn't, those weren't things that were, he was preoccupied with. He was preoccupied with just God, God himself. And, you know, for us, it, it, when we feel that spiritual thirst, do we have things we can go back to? Can we go back to, hopefully, we can go back to the, just the fact of, God, you're my God. Or God, I can think back to a time when you worked in my life and when I saw you move, would you just do that again? 
we can go back to those things. Those are simple things that we can do just to, to say, God, I need you to, to, to fill me up again. I need you to work and renew and, and do those things again in my life. And then he says in verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Just, just reaching this point that there's only one thing that really matters in this life, and that's God's love. Everything else is secondary. That's what Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, everything else, will be added to you. It's secondary. It's, it's, it's not of first importance. And David says, your steadfast love is better than life. And so he says, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So he takes his dry, thirsty soul, and he just puts it before God. And then look what happens uh, in verse 5. It's like a, a transformation. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now, I think the second inner reality when that we see when we, when we really seek after God, when we really come to him and confess our need and our thirst, there's a feast for the soul. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And so I'm, I'm going to use the example that's top of our minds, although it might not be good to use it today because you're, you're tired of eating leftovers for three days. But I mean, you know, this is, this is turkey and gravy and Pumpkin pie, all that stuff is what God is to our soul, okay? And if you're tired of Thanksgiving uh, leftovers, <laughs> fill in the blank with some other food. The richest, the best, the best meal you've ever had, okay? The way that that felt to you in a physical sense is the way that God fulfills your soul, okay? And so, man, how awesome is that? That God, God wants to bring joy and fulfillment and peace and comfort to our souls. All right? God fills us up. You know, it's like, it's like you get to the point where you've just ate so much, you're like, I can't eat anymore. I've, all I can do is go lay on the couch, all right? You're just, you're satisfied, all right? That's the feeling, that's the truth, that's the reality that God wants to bring into our souls, that we feed on him and we reach the point where we're just, we're satisfied. We're happy. We're content. And, and God wants, God wants our inner, our inner being to feel like that. He wants us to have that experience that, that we, we feast on his goodness. We feast on his word and on his promises. And we feast on his very person. Like his presence is there and we know it. Um, you know, I think about what what uh, Jesus said, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? What happens if we hunger and thirst for righteousness? It says they'll be satisfied. All right? That's, it's the same word. It's the same concept. It's the same idea. They'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. We can have as much of God as we want. God's presence is a feast for our souls. You know, Jesus, I think, he knew how valuable the wilderness could be. You remember how different times in the Gospels it said, you know, Jesus went out 
into a lonely place. He went into to the wilderness to pray. Well, one time he let his disciples come along, and not just his disciples, and 5,000 people followed Jesus out into the wilderness, okay? And, and it gets to the point in the day where they say, uh, you know, I, there's no, no, I don't see a Walmart around here. Um, there's not like a stream where we can go fish. You know, we're out in the wilderness, and, and, and we've got 5,000 people here, and we didn't do a good job, you know, packing anything, or, uh, you know, we don't have money to, to, to take the long trip into town and buy food for everyone and come back out. All these, these logistical worries uh, happening. And Jesus, Jesus just, he tells them to stop. He says, what do we have? You know, and the boy brings him his food and he distributes it to 5,000 people. And then fast forward a few hours and the disciples are holding these baskets, 12 baskets full of food, full of food. And, and it's like Jesus was just trying to, to drill this reality into their heart that you can never you can never reach the end of God. You can feast on him for as long as you want, and he'll satisfy you. He'll do it. He'll provide. Um, he's, he's not a stingy God, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, uh, I guess you can have a little bit of broccoli today, and then uh, tomorrow you can have... No, those are good foods. Don't get me wrong. But God's, God's not stingy in a spiritual sense, Right? He gives us the best, the very best. And, and sometimes, you know, we just don't go, we just don't go there. We just don't, we don't take advantage of, of what he provides, of just the richness in the food. And, and, and just look at a few of the clues of, of what it means to be satisfied. Look in verse 6. It says, um, when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. It's, a, it's an any-time event. You wake up in the middle of the night. You know, I've had times this year where different things were on my mind and, and I couldn't sleep at night. And, you know, this, this wasn't something that I was, did very well. You know, I, I, would, I would just sit and let my, my mind cycle on these things. And I was, as I was studying this chapter this, this month, I'm like, man, you know, here's, here's, here's God's plan. You know, you wake up at night, meditate on Him. Just, just feed on Him. Like, and this is a reason to have, have a verse memorized or, or have something that you can just cling to. You know, at night, uh, you know, I go to, I go to Psalm, Psalm 139, but, you know, just have some passage or some truth that you can just hold on to in the middle of the night. And when those worries are, are coming at you or, or your mind just can't get over, to, you know, whatever the day's event's coming up, man, just hold on to truth. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. It says, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. It's just this I, shadow of the wings is this imagery of, of like a, a, a mother hen just, just pulling her chicks in close. And, and it's kind of an acknowledgement that, you know, I don't have to solve all the problems. I'm just going to sit under God's wing and God's protection, and he's going to take care of me. And, and I think it's just a part of it of feasting on God is, is letting go of that worry. Uh, just singing for joy, you know. Go, you know, you let your mind go to a song, you know, sing your steadfast love is better than life or, or some hymn. You know, you can, 
you can go to God in the middle of the night when no one else is there, and he'll just fill you up. And then we come to this last inner reality of the soul. Verse 8 says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Uh, you know, just, just notice how kind of encompassing the language in this whole psalm is, right? He starts out talking about taste. And then he's talking about sight. You know, he talks about beholding the Lord. And then he's, he, he's talking about speech, you know. My lips will praise you. And now he, he's, he's really coming around to this idea of just grip and, and, and touch. You know, you know, clinging on to God, it's kind of a visceral thing, right? It's like, God, I'm just going to hold on to you. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wilderness. I don't know what's going to happen. My son's taken over the throne. Um, I don't have much going for me right now. I'm just going to cling to you. And I think sometimes we just need to do the same thing. Our soul just needs to go to God and say, God, I don't have anything else. I'm just going to hold tight to you. I'm going to hold tight to your word. I'm going to hold tight to Jesus. I'm going to hold tight to the promises of Scripture. And you know, God wants us to do that. And this, this word for cling is, is interesting. It's, it's actually, it's, it's the same uh, verbiage, it's the same word that you find in Genesis. When, in Genesis 2.24, when, when uh, Moses writes, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother. Some translations will translate it as hold fast. Or if you go really old English, cleave. Just this idea of, holding fast, of clinging uh, to a man, clinging to his wife, holding fast. You know, it's, it's, it's daily experience. It's saying, I, we're going to go through life together, and I'm going to hold fast to you, and I'm going to leave behind my past, and, and we're going to start life together. You know, this is that same imagery that, that David is, is, is sharing as he talks about following after God. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, my soul clings to you. Now, how many of you have been to Adventureland since they put up the new monster roller coaster? Have you guys done that? Yeah. How, okay, a few hands. How many have ridden on the monster roller coaster? This is going to be a smaller group. Okay. The monster roller coaster is really scary, all right? Just going to put this out there, but it's probably the best roller coaster I've ever ridden on. Um, you get, you get, you, you sit down and you strap this, this thing across your belt you're like, where, where are my shoulder straps, right? I'm, I'm getting nervous. You see the car go up in front of you, and it's going straight up in the air, right? Straight up in the air. And all you got is this little belt across your waist. And it gets up to the top, and it doesn't just go like, oh, down in a nice... It actually goes all the way, inverts, and, and you're going down. And, man, the first time I went on that thing, I, I, was, just, I was just like white-knuckling it, Right? And I'm just hanging on. You got these two little handles. You're, you're, you're clinging on to it. And, and as I thought about this imagery in this psalm, I think, man, you know, I think that's, when I think of clinging on to something, that's what I think of. I'm going on the monster roller coaster, and I'm just holding on to that thing for dear life, right? And you get to the end, and, and, you, and, you, and you realize, okay, you know, it's safe. I survived. Um, and, and honestly, what good is it, is it really doing? You're, you're holding on to this thing. Like, like, I, like you're really going to be able to hold on to your whole body weight and prevent yourself from, from getting thrown out if, if your belt, if the belt should fail. Well, 
Look at, look at the second half of that verse. He says, my soul clings to you, which, is, which counts for something, right? And it's just, it's like saying, God, I'm going to hold on to you. But really, we're pretty weak. We're, we're pretty um, ineffective at really holding on to God. But listen to this. This is what's cool. It says, your right hand upholds me. It's like God is like, you know what? I'm holding you with my right hand. So you, you may not be very strong to really hold on to me, but I'm going to hold on to you, okay? And man, how awesome is that, that, that when we're going through spiritual dryness, um, that God comes and he holds us with his right hand. Uh, you know, I also think about like going across the street with my youngest, he's three years old, and I say, hey, Ethan, you know, grab my hand, we're crossing the street. And it's not that he's going to really be able to escape me, but I'm trying to teach him. I'm trying to teach him to, you know, you need to look to the left, look to the right. So he'll hold on to my hand. But the thing keeping him safe is the fact that I'm actually looking both ways and making sure that he's staying with me. That's what's keeping me safe. But, you know, when we cling to God, it's just expressing our need and our just desire to be close to him, right? And I just think that he, he responds to that. When we cling to him, he just reveals himself to us and he just pours out uh, riches and, and just renews us and, and renews our hearts. I just think that there's an element where he wants us to show some determination, some resolve, some seeking after him, some following after him. Um, and that's what we do when, when our soul clings to him. It's just that daily persistence. And so here's the struggle. You know, we go through these seasons in our life where we're dry. We don't even feel like we have the energy to, to open God's word in the morning or to pray. You know, sometimes it's a struggle to go and, and be with other believers on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. Um, and I think one of the ways we can cling to God is just say, God, you know, I'm struggling right now. I don't want to open your word. I don't want to pray but I'm just going to do it because I know I need you. And we do it and, and, and we, we, just, we just hold on to him and we say, God, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep putting myself in your presence and I'm going to, I'm going to cry out to you and I'm going to wait for you to show up. And sometimes, man, we, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but sometimes even spiritual activities and things like that, we can become so engrossed in all the ways we're serving God that we're just not sitting at his feet, right? I think of Mary and Martha and, and, and how, you know, Jesus says, just sometimes you just need to stop all that and sit and be still and be in my presence. And so we do that, you know, we just, God honors that persistence and the faith that we show sometimes where we just show up and we just sit and we don't really have anything to offer, but we just offer to him our need. And we just say, God, I confess I need you. Um, you know, in, in verses 9 through 11, uh, David kind of comes back to his present reality. He says, those who seek to destroy my life. He says, they shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. You know, David doesn't seem like he's a king anymore, right? He doesn't have a throne. He doesn't have a palace. 
He's in the middle of the desert, but he kind of comes back to this reality of, you know what? God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And God's promised that I'm going to be the king. He's promised, in fact, that he's going to establish my throne. And he, he, so he comes back to that promise. And, and so I think it's interesting there that he says the king shall rejoice in God. It's kind of like God gives him a glimpse that, yes, you're going to get through this trial. You're going to rejoice in me. The people that are coming after you are, are going to go down to the depths of the earth. You know, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be put down. Um, and so he holds on to that, just that, that promise and that hope that he's going to rejoice in God. So a couple kind of closing thoughts. If, if, if you're here this morning and you don't really consider yourself to be a believer, you know, all this, this talk of thirsting and hungering and feasting on, on God and his promise, it, just, it might sound kind of strange, right? And what I want you just to think about is uh, just to be honest with, with your soul and ask yourself if you're fulfilled, okay? And ask yourself whether the things in your life bring you the meaning and satisfaction that you want. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, um, we're, we're going to come to the point where we realize that, you know what, I'm never going to get to a point where money is going to bring me, bring me happiness. I'm never going to get to a point where all my relationships are going to fulfill the needs that I have. I'm never going to get to a point where whatever it is I'm pursuing really satisfies me. And that's what Jesus holds out in the gospel, okay? The message from Scripture is that Jesus, the eternal and perfect king, he left the palace too. He came down to this earth. Um, He experienced physical hunger. He experienced physical thirst. Um, but he always rested and walked in perfect communion with his father. You know, there was a time where, where his disciples came to him and they were worried about uh, what to eat. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus wasn't looking to anything down here to give him meaning or significance in life. His food was to do the will of the Father. And accomplish his work, accomplish his work was a path that Jesus was on. It was a path that was going straight to the cross. And as Jesus walked that path, he never wavered, he never turned aside. It was before him all the way, and, and, he, and he stayed true, okay? And think about this. Uh, when he hung on the cross, um, he said, he said a, you know, I think there's seven utterances from the cross. One of them was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then the next thing he said after that was, I thirst. Here's the king of the universe. And he says, I thirst. Now, was there a physical thirst? Absolutely. But I think what Jesus was experiencing at that moment was a thirst for God, his father. 
that for the first time in eternity, he was separated from the love and the affection of God, his Father, and he said, I thirst. So, how amazing is it that Jesus came to this earth, he experienced physical suffering, yes, but when our sin was placed on him and, and the separation from the Father happened, he felt a spiritual thirst. He, spelt, he, he endured a spiritual thirst. So when we, feel, when we feel dry, when we feel separated, and let's remember that Jesus the King left his palace, came to this earth, and experienced the thirst that our sin deserved so that then we can come to him, take his free gift, take his offering, drink from the fountain that he provides, and experience satisfaction. Um, let's just bow our heads before we take the bread and the cup. Father, I pray that you would just grant us the opportunity to be honest before you this morning. To be honest about where our souls are at. To be honest for our need for you, God. Uh, we confess that we, we turn to so many other things. Um, and we fill our, our moments with so much that doesn't satisfy us. And yet, every week you call us back, you say, come back, come to the table, take the bread and the cup, and you offer us a feast for our souls. Uh, God, help us to lay our sins and our burdens and our failures at the foot of the cross. We want to have a soul that's thirsty for you. We want to have a soul that feasts on you. We want to have a soul that clings to you, that clings to the cross, that clings to the promise and the hope found in Jesus Christ. Uh, we commit all these things to you. We thank you and praise you that we can never reach the end of you. You are always there for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.